Hello everyone, welcome back to the Tar Heel Prescription, a student-run podcast here at the UNC School of Medicine. My name is Peter. And my name is Anu. It wasn't too long ago that Peter, Abdul, and I were trudging through the final stretches of foundation phase, and now, as new MS3 is in application phase, we're looking back and discovering that the foundation phase as we knew it has undergone a serious makeover. So today, we will be learning just as much as our listeners as we break down foundation phase 2.0 with some wonderful individuals who have been closely involved with its innovation. Dr. Moorfield, Dr. Gillen, thank you both so much for being here. If you would, please tell us a little more about who you are and what you do at UNC. Hi, I'm so excited to be back talking to you about the foundation phase redesign. My name is Emily Moorfield, and I am one of the medical science directors. Um, And so I will get to see everyone throughout the foundation phase. And I'm Kurt Gilliland, and I'm from the Department of Cell Biology and Physiology. I look forward to teaching you all anatomy, histology, and other subjects. And I serve in an associate dean role, and I've been involved with the development of the curriculum over the last few years. Look at the whole crew back together. A year ago, we started recording episodes for our foundation phase, and now, here we are. Brand new curriculum, same lovely folks. It is a pleasure to have you both with us today to delve into these big changes and help students understand how to become most successful in this new curriculum. To dive right in, the foundation phase is one of three phases in the tech, which is translational education at Carolina, and it starts off with orientation. In Tech 2.0, orientation is a two-week affair that focuses on well-being, the curriculum, and relational leadership. Tell us more about what students can expect during this time and how it's different from last year's orientation. So orientation is longer this year by design. Instead of being simply two or three days, it'll be actually over a week. So first-year students will come in on a Thursday and Friday in late July and then spend the entire next week as well in orientation. There'll be opportunities to learn about the new curriculum and, more importantly, to learn about each other. The students will meet their classmates with several bonding activities and, uh, of course, they'll meet the faculty and be in Roper Hall in this fall. So the Roper Hall is officially opening? Roper Hall is in the process of opening. So uh, we hope that all activities will be in Roper Hall. It's possible that we grow into it slowly, but we'll definitely be in Roper Hall uh, in the fall semester, if not immediately. Uh, at some point. At some point very okay. soon. It's looking amazing right now. As we pass by, I can't imagine how it will look from the inside. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, new building is something to look forward to. Um, before we go into the specifics of the new curriculum, tell us what inspired this mission to redesign the curriculum. So we thought a lot about how healthcare is being practiced now, and it's different uh, than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Healthcare is practiced in teams, so we want the students to be trained in teams. Um, In addition, we know that there is lots of information out there. The the literature doubles in size every couple of years. There's way more information than when I was in graduate school. So we need to train students to be lifelong learners. And then finally, uh, we know that with the class size growing from 190 ultimately to 230, it might be possible for some students to get lost in that environment. And we want to create an environment where students have a sense of belonging. And we'll do that with small groups uh, that are in contact with one another for a full semester uh, and as well uh, with faculty for that whole semester. To follow up on that, you already mentioned a really great point of, you know, trying trying to make sure that all students have a sense of belonging and making sure no one falls through the cracks. Um, Compared to Tech 1.0, what do you anticipate are some of the other strengths of Tech 2.0? 
So I think one of the biggest strengths really is that teamwork. I mean, so there's teamwork among students in multiple different formats of small groups, um, some of them in a large room, some of them in a smaller room. Um, I think that there's also teamwork among faculty. So we are now integrating even better than we did previously in Tech One, working together. So you'll see course and coil directors really presenting together, working together to integrate that content, the basic science and the clinical. You'll also see coil directors working together to kind of integrate and present content together. So I think teamwork really is one of the biggest benefits of this new curriculum. I agree. And I would also add that I think less is more. Uh, sometimes right now, you all as students have exposure to so many faculty that you can't get used to a particular teaching style. So we'll reduce the number of faculty and create that consistency. You'll still have the opportunity to be exposed to all of the specialties at Carolina. I also think that there'll be more consistency. Again, with all those faculty, you, you know, right now there might be 200 faculty delivering 400 PowerPoint files all in different formats. There'll be more consistency in that regard as well. In our foundation phase, lectures were the primary source of learning for a given block. From what we've heard, this is no longer the case in Tech 2.0. What is the primary resource that students will be using to fuel their independent learning? How should students utilize this resource in their preparation for group sessions and academic assessments? Yeah, that's a great question. So this is a big shift. So the main content source is ScholarRx Bricks. So this is like an online textbook. So you kind of scroll through the page just like you would flip through a chapter in a book. Um, and so these bricks feature interactive illustration, clinical correlation, um, cases, and there are check your understanding questions at the end. And so there's a brick on each individual clinical and basic science topic. And so students will look through those um, before class and then come into class prepared to uh, participate in an interactive exercise with their peers. And I'm excited about the ScholarX bricks because they're all formatted the same and they have the same level of depth or granularity as you move throughout the curriculum. So again, there's just that sense of consistency with that baseline information. Now then, on at that point, the faculty will, will teach. And so Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the Students will come together as an entire class in one large room, but they'll be seated at small tables of six, and those groups will remain the same for about six weeks at a time. And that's an opportunity for the students to be stimulated with questions and cases in their small groups. And then the faculty actually will deliver a debrief. You'd call it a lecture, uh, but a, a short debrief of that activity will cycle through that activity I just described about three times within two hours. So in a two-hour session, on a Monday, Wednesday, or Friday, a student might spend an hour of it collaborating with their six-person table group, but they'll spend an hour uh, receiving a lecture, if you will, by PowerPoint with all the associated things you're used to, the lecture capture recording, uh, and so on, so that you can review it later. It seems like there will be like a good amount of independent learning beforehand to help prepare for the large groups and the small group sessions. But this desk can sometimes feel daunting for anyone, um, even with a background in STEM. Um, how do you recommend students go about tackling this challenge? Yeah, that's a really good point. And so the goal here is that the first kind of um, exposure to content is before class. So reviewing that content, getting an idea, an overview of what you'll then use in class the next day to kind of um, apply and go through that interactive exercise. And so ultimately, this form of kind of application in class with those small groups is going to help with retention and recall um, later on. 
So it does require some discipline. And I know that everyone is up for the challenge. And if students do find that they're struggling and having a hard time kind of coming up with a system that's working for them, we encourage them to work to reach out and to definitely let us know because we want you to succeed. We know you can succeed and we're here to help that happen. And the students are expected to prepare before they come in and there'll be a five question quiz. You might remember as an undergraduate that you had a short quiz that determined if you were prepared for your laboratory courses. It was just a way to make sure you had read the manual and you knew what you were doing when you came in. And we're doing the same thing. So the quizzes are not expecting mastery. They're expecting familiarity. Did you have some sense of familiarity with the basic information so that you could come in and contribute to your six-person team as you work on slightly harder problems? Uh, but again, the quiz is five questions, very straightforward, uh, not as involved as the questions that you would encounter on an examination several weeks later. Now, to get into the nitty-gritty, there are a number of acronyms in Tech 2.0 that we should break down, and they all revolve around the various group settings that students will find themselves in throughout foundation phase. So let's go ahead and start with PALS, P-A-L-S, or the Peer Accelerated Learning Sessions. Um, to my understanding, these are the large group sessions that y'all have. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So the large group sessions are basically interactive lectures. That's what we were just describing. And we call them PALS because... Uh, you're sitting at a group with your pals, right? I mean, there's five other people. Uh, if they're not your friends to start with, they will be by the end of six weeks. You'll know them well, and you're working together like pals. That emphasizes the team-oriented nature of the activity. And, and again, you might be debating multiple-choice questions or working on short cases together. And, and again, it stands for Peer Accelerated Learning Sessions. Uh, there's been a lot of research that's come out of Harvard and other places about the fact that sometimes students can explain difficult concepts to one another better than a faculty member can. I mean, just for example, I've tried to convey a, a point about something that's very detailed and there's a question and all I do is repeat what I said and that's not going to connect with the students. All I did was say it twice, but a fellow student knows the pitfalls. They've more recently trained themselves to understand that material and they'll quickly explain, hey, this is the catch. This is what you need to know. This is what makes this work. And so that's peer accelerated. And it's been shown in the literature to work and we're going to do it here at Carolina. So the second acronym we're thinking about here is CBL or the case-based learning. And these seem to be more small group sessions, even smaller than what we started talking about with the large group ones. Yeah. So this is the CBL uh, are groups of nine students with a single facilitator, and they'll stay together for an entire semester. And this group will be in a smaller room. Um, and they'll work on common clinical scenarios, kind of talking through those scenarios, working through their clinical reasoning skills, and applying kind of basic science concepts into those clinical cases. I'm excited about this. The students will get some of the information on the Tuesday session but not all of it. So they have to identify what they have, what they need. And then uh, between classes, between Tuesday and Thursday, they'll research the material, come back. And on Thursday, as a group of nine, they'll continue that consideration and quote unquote, solve the case. But it's more about the diagnosis or the treatment, but it's about the process, the thinking process. So that gets back to those tenets we mentioned earlier. I mean, there's team play and there's lifelong learning or self-directed learning uh, in this case. And then there's the sense of belonging, working together and uh, kind of in a, a nice, happy team. That'll be slow to form, but it will over a semester. Lastly, in terms of acronyms that are actually familiar to us, thinking about PCC and SHS, um, these components aren't new to Tech 2.0, but 
Um, we just at least also want to mention to some of our listeners that we do have some existing episodes about those courses specifically that they can listen to and dive um, more deeply into to understand what those um, courses are about. But is there anything that y'all want to mention that maybe we don't really know um, is slightly different or that um, will go hand in hand with some of the changes that have been made with this curriculum? I'm glad you mentioned that. So we have been spending all of our time on the medical science courses, which have different names depending on the course. We haven't yet talked about patient-centered care or PCC. That's the physical exam course that meets one afternoon a week. We haven't talked about SHS or social and health systems, which meets one morning a week to discuss ethics and, and advanced topics. We have worked very hard in the last year and a half to make those three courses, medical science, PCC, and SHS, more connected than ever before. And so I'm excited about that so that what you experience in one course on a Monday afternoon is also referenced on a Tuesday morning in another part of the curriculum. The TIC curriculum incorporates a number of basic science coils, an example microbiology, histology, anatomy, and embryology, throughout the teaching of organ systems. Compared to TIC 1.0, is there anything different about how these coils are integrated or delivered? Yeah, so the coils are still be the same great coils, many of the same great coil directors. And one of the things I'm really excited about with the coils in the new curriculum is the integration. So I mentioned previously, I think that the integration is now even better with these basic sciences. So for example, a basic scientist will work together, maybe micro and farm will work together to kind of talk about, talk students through an interactive exercise, talking about maybe um, bacteria and antibacterial drugs, for example. And the COILS will also interact more closely with the clinician course directors to bring forward the basic sciences when talking about more of a clinical case. So I think the integration is one of the things I'm most excited about with these COILS. Can you briefly touch a little bit about anatomy? I know last year we worked our way through human anatomy block by block um, with the corresponding organ system. How is it done this year? It'll seem very similar. It just may be resequenced a little bit. So the students will still encounter anatomy in bits and pieces throughout the nine courses over the first three semesters of medical school. We'll start with the course called The Patient, and it talks about the patient both as a person and a community member and a family member, but also as a body. And so a lot of the musculoskeletal anatomy will be done early on in August, along with an overview of the thorax and abdomen. We won't discuss all of those organs in detail at that point, but the students will get an overview of the thoracic cavity and the abdominal cavity and relate it to basic aspects of the physical exam, like listening to heart sounds and lung sounds. Uh, and then we'll re-encounter anatomy later in the semester in the circulation course to look at the heart. Uh, and then in the spring, we'll re-encounter anatomy again in the homeostasis course, in particular the respiratory part where we'll look at the lungs. Uh, likewise, in the renal part of that course, we'll look at the kidneys and then we get to body regulation a huge component there is the gastrointestinal system, and of course, they'll dis dissect the abdominal cavity. And then we'll finish the first year with the reproductive and genitourinary course, and it includes a lot of the pelvic anatomy. Uh, and then uh, the anatomy is less involved in the second year fall, and that's the same for you all right now as well. Switching gears a little, let's talk more about the logistics of grading, which I know can be stressful to students. Um, there are two elements that are new to us, but let's start with the multiple choice midterms and final exams. Are these homegrown or NBME based? 
Yeah. So all of the exams will be NBME. So these will be customized NBME exams, just like you all experienced, where course and coil directors go through the NBME database to select questions that correlate with the course content. Um, so I, that's one of the things that we've been really working hard toward is consistency. Again, this is kind of a theme. Consistency in exam style, in the exam, the number of questions per exam, the difficulty of each exam. So I think that the you'll find the exams to be very similar to what we had previously. And I think, like you said, having it, um, at least for our curriculum, it was always just the final. Mostly that was NBME-based. And now having it for the midterms and the finals, I think that goes back to what you were saying, Dr. Gillen, about some consistency kind of across the board and maybe how that might also help students to, in the long run, even just prepare for for bigger things that um, we can say we've gone through now with like step one and, and other things. Um, to follow up on that, on first follow up, um, one of the first new elements to us is, and we've talked about it a little bit already, but the quizzes that um, it seems like students are going to regularly do before these large group sessions. We've talked a little bit already about it being more about uh, having familiarity than, say, mastery. But can you just comment a little bit more to alleviate some of the stress for our listeners? Absolutely. So imagine it's Sunday afternoon and you're preparing for a Monday morning pals, that large group session. You'll be assigned five of the bricks, five little sections, if you will. And we know in advance roughly how long it takes a student to read those so we can assign a reasonable amount of material. And so the students would read those bricks, basically part of an online textbook, in the same way that you all might review PowerPoints after they've been delivered. In this case, students are doing it in advance. Uh, and they'll prepare for a five-question quiz. So they'll have about seven and a half minutes, a minute and a half per question uh, to take that quiz. And the questions will be first order questions, straight questions, you know, which of the following uh, is the hormone that does this? Uh, and you select an answer. It won't be a large clinical vignette or anything complex. That's for later. Uh, again, the idea is just to encourage students to be prepared so that the interactive activity is worthwhile. And I think we had a little bit of that with the cardiovascular system. It wasn't really stressful and it helped us understand what was going on. I actually learned more during the small groups. Yeah, I think it's it, it seems stressful when you think about having to keep up with something that's graded like that at first, but then you realize it helps you keep up with the material and help you kind of stay on track with making sure that you're learning, um, you know, the big objectives that you need to learn. So I agree that was definitely helpful during cardio block for us. And it actually also gives you a chance to earn grades in different ways. So your exams are not weighted so heavily. And yeah. Most students like that. Yeah, it's a really good point. Second follow-up to that and touching on the, the next new element to us, um, we saw that students have to complete a case-based learning narrative exam. What does this exam entail and how should students approach their learning during the year to best prepare for it? So we're going to call that the clinical reasoning exam, but it is in fact a narrative exam uh, with open-ended questions. Think back possibly to high school when you took an AP biology exam and there was an open-ended question and you wrote a free response, not a full essay, but a, a short answer response. These questions would be designed in the same way. They'll follow from the entire curriculum. They may be more directed towards the case-based learning activities on Tuesday and Thursday, but they'll follow from the entire curriculum. The students will have a lot of guidance about how to prepare for these. Again, it's an opportunity for students to express themselves in a different way. Not everyone is good at taking multiple choice questions. I wasn't. Uh, so this is an opportunity for people to express their knowledge and get credit for it. Um, and it's also a good opportunity to direct to develop your writing skills early in the curriculum rather than later in the curriculum. 
And again, it's another opportunity just to make sure that those multiple choice exams aren't weighted so heavily and that they don't count so much. Thank you for sharing this information with the, with us and with the new students so far. But to wrap up this overview, let's briefly touch on the nine blocks that are seen over the course of the three semesters of foundation phase. You kind of touch briefly on that when we were talking about anatomy. But some of these blocks integrate two organ systems together. For each block, we would love for you to give us a brief overview of the focus or rationale behind integration of the two given systems. So for semester one, we have the patient, molecules to cells, and circulation, which includes blood and cardiovascular system. I can start with the first one. So first of all, we'll call these courses now instead of blocks. And so uh, we'll go with course number three, circulation. It starts around November 1st and runs through the holidays. And it does have two components. The first component is blood. And that will be, in medical language, benign hematology, an introduction to blood and diseases such as anemia. We will not do the malignant hematology at that point. We'll save that for the third semester. So it's an introduction to blood and basic hematology, followed by the cardiovascular system, uh, obviously with heavy involvement from the Division of Cardiology and the Department of Medicine. So we start with the blood and then we put it into the pump, that's the heart, and talk about the heart itself and, of course, the vasculature throughout the body. So those two go together really well. You've probably noticed that the uh, antiplatelet drugs are addressed to some degree in your current hematology block and to some degree in your current cardiovascular block. We'll put all that together. Anything blood or heart related will go together. Now for semester two, we have homeostasis, which includes renal and respiratory system. We also have body regulation, which is endocrine and GI systems. And then we have the reproductive plus the GU health, which is reproductive and urinary systems. Sure. So the fourth course, homeostasis, starts in early January and runs through roughly the end of February. And it has two components, uh, the respiratory part and the renal part. Those go together nicely, and they actually do for you right now as well, because there's common themes of pH and acid base. And so like, just like now, we start with respiratory and we end with renal, but there's a lot of overlapping themes that we can work together. There's also some differences for obvious reasons. The organs are very different, but we'll put it together in that course called homeostasis just to describe that method uh, in the body. And then for body regulation, which is endocrine and GI? Yeah. So body regulation combines endocrine and GI. And I think that these go really nicely together because the GI system really is the largest endocrine system in the body. There are lots of endocrine producing cells there. And so I think that um, there are lots of, again, common themes that we can combine those two systems and bring out some of those hormones and the hormonal responses between both endocrine and GI. It's another great opportunity for the pancreas to be all together in one course and for nutrition to have a, a solid home. Nutrition goes so well with the endocrine system and with the GI system. Okay. And then for the last course, the reproductive and the GU health, which is reproductive and the urinary systems. So this one fits really well. You'll notice that we just did the endocrine system in the previous course, and that leads well into the reproductive system in this sixth and final course of the first year. And also from a structural standpoint, uh, the anatomy flows. You just would have dissected the abdominal cavity in the previous course, and now you work your way inferiorly into the pelvic cavity in this course. So for structural and functional reasons, the reproductive and genitourinary health course follows very nicely from the previous courses. And it will include both the OBGYN component and the urology component. So that'll be the end of the first year. 
And then for semester three, we have the neurons to networks, which is the nervous system and special senses. And then we also have life stages, which is life cycle and behavioral health. And then we have integrated systems at the end of the year. So we start the second year fall with neurons to networks. And we believe that brain comes better be first and behavior second. And that's what we're going to do. So we start with the brain. And uh, it has a lot of basic science and physiology followed by the neurology. It also will include all of the ENT or ear, nose, throat content, which currently is distributed across the curriculum. It'll all be collected sort of under one roof in neurons to networks. Uh, and then the next course is a behavioral health course, but we're calling it life stages. So it's uh, we'll focus on the developmental stages of life from cradle to grave, if you will, uh, over the course of that entire course. And uh, But it will include uh, behavioral health as well as psychiatry uh, and uh, a lot of important issues. We're dedicating more time to this particular course than its equivalent course in the current curriculum. And then the last course is integrated systems. And so there's a theme there. It's autoimmunity and cancer. And now it will include some topics that you haven't heard me mention yet. And so, but with an autoimmune and cancer focus. So you remember, uh, we, while we might have introduced immunology in a basic sense, way back in molecules to cells the previous fall, uh, now we'll have clinical immunology or rheumatology uh, as part of that course. You might remember that we introduced benign hematology, but I said we'd do malignant hematology later. That will be part of this course. You may remember that we did normal anatomy way back in the patient at the beginning of the first year, but we didn't focus too much on a lot of the orthopedic content, such as the vascular disease and the neoplasms, uh, and that'll occur in this course. And then finally, while we introduced skin in the patient in the beginning of the first year, we didn't really address a lot of the skin cancer. And so that will be in this course. And so again, all of the components of the course while coming from different organ systems uh, will in fact focus on autoimmune disease and cancer. And these are a lot of diseases that might originate in one part of the body, but present themselves or manifest in other parts of the body. And so it's a great opportunity to address metastasis as cancers move you know, from their origin to a, a different site all in this course. So we're excited about that and, and the opportunity for you all to kind of draw everything together in the end of your second year fall. Thank you for walking through that. I know some of it may seem, some of those systems kind of seem self-explanatory and seem in terms of why they go hand in hand. But I think even just hearing you talk about all these other courses and comparing it to what our experience was with foundation phase and how we saw different systems or, you know, at least for us back then blocks, like it's just, it, I really do see like the flow and, and, you know, the intent behind the way that it flows. And I think that it's, it's helpful even, you know, for, for students wrapping their head around a new curriculum to just, just kind of maybe even see that, to keep that in mind as they're learning new stuff and trying to draw those connections. So thank you for going into that. Lastly, as we've kind of been talking about, we know that this year is the first iteration of this new curriculum, and it may be difficult right now to give the most tailored advice for success in each of these courses. But what would you say are the clinical pearls to making the most of this curriculum and performing well in foundation phase? The first thing I would recommend is staying up to date with the material. But I hope that the structure of the curriculum does that for you as a student. Uh, again, we don't expect mastery early on, just familiarity. We want to keep students up to date so they can benefit from the sessions. We want to make sure they don't get to the exam and realize they're four days behind. We, we want everyone to feel as if they're up to date when the exam comes. So then study is, is the second time they've seen the material, not the first time they've seen the material. I think that's probably the, the biggest piece of advice that, that I would have is 
staying up to date. But again, we're going to help you do it. So absolutely. I agree completely. Staying up to date on the content and really keeping up with things as they're progressing so that you can effectively apply that content when you get to class and really make the most of your time in class. Um, and as I said previously, we are here to help you all. And so I think the other thing is to reach out early. If you find that you're having trouble with any issue as you go through the curriculum, let us know. We can talk about it and, and help you find a solution. And we're hoping that the constant contact with that faculty member and that small nine-person group will be an opportunity to develop a relationship that's comfortable so that you can reach out to someone when you need assistance. And of course, your student colleagues are helpful as well in that regard, and you'll stick with them in those Tuesday, Thursday morning groups for the entire semester. Um, the final thing I would add is this. It's tempting when you go into a large group environment or a small group environment to think that medical knowledge is the only thing you're supposed to get out of it. But really, we expect you to become competent with our help over time in other areas, clinical skills, communication skills, lifelong learning, professionalism, uh, and, and many other areas. And so we'll make that clear and we'll provide opportunities for that. But we hope students benefit from those opportunities to develop written communication skills, oral communication skills, how to give feedback, how to receive feedback, so that you're prepared for the application phase. We still have the same overarching objectives we have now. We want to prepare you for step one. We want to prepare you for the application phase, uh, which is the third year of clinical training. And we want to prepare you for whatever career that you want to be in, whatever discipline it is, whatever specialty it is. We want to help you get there. So those, those goals are the same. Definitely. And I just want to hammer... Um, something that both of y'all just mentioned right now, because we were actually talking with um, Dr. Coyle Jean, who teaches about the renal system. And she had mentioned that she thinks it'll be essential for students to like frequently touch base with their course directors as they're learning a particular system to really pick out, you know, what is high yield or conceptually most important from the um, Scholar RX bricks um, and other third party resources that students may use. So we just want to tell our listeners, please don't be shy about leaning on the lovely professors that we're hearing from today and the others that you will see throughout foundation phase as you're going through the learning process. It's really helpful to talk with them often to make sure that you're on track with the academic knowledge you should be building for a particular course or organ system that you're learning about because y'all are not scary. Y'all are really great. In fact, I think all of our faculty are wonderful, but clearly there's some who are especially wonderful. Quail Jane would be one of them. And we've made sure that those favorites, those excellent faculty are in positions to have constant contact with you all. So I'm expecting there to be a tie uh, for the faculty award with 15 people, you know, all being voted in because we have all of your favorites doing more work than you've previously even seen them do. I'm excited for the new class. This is going to be great. Now I would like to leave some room for us to kind of talk about anything that we haven't talked about yet or anything that we haven't mentioned about the curriculum and also incorporate some of the questions that we got from the new class. Some of the questions we got were about the faculty that were not involved in designing the new curriculum and how they really felt about the change. So we actually conducted a number of focus groups along the way, and we interacted with the faculty. So while they might not have been on the planning committee, uh, they had input about the topics, uh, the method of teaching, the evaluation and assessment methods. We were able to troubleshoot certain ideas early on and decide if we would use them or not. Uh, it is a different type of teaching. I know some people will find it to be different than the way they were taught and the way they have been teaching. Uh, and so this is a very collaborative type of teaching, very uh, integrated, 
uh, and it will require the faculty to be in teams just like it requires the students to be in teams. So that'll be a learning situation. I'm looking forward to it. I think it will allow there to be kind of little trilogies that develop. Just for example, uh, Dr. Moorfield, Dr. Kernick, and I look forward to co-teaching anatomy, physiology, and histology because they're all quite related. And, and so it's going to be different. We're looking forward to it. I think it'll be fun. It'll stretch us a little bit and it'll cause us to kind of freshen our techniques at this point in our career. Great. And another topic that was also mentioned had to do with the longer commutes for the students that may live a little farther away from campus. Um, any advice on that and any potential for a hybrid option? So I'll take that one. I actually commute from Raleigh. I've actually commuted 25 miles from Raleigh for the last 21 years. And so I'm used to it. And uh, I know sometimes it can be tough. But uh, we actually designed the curriculum to have a routine, predictable schedule, unlike right now, where you might not be able to remember where you're supposed to be at a certain hour of the day. And by design, most of the instruction usually begins around 945 in the morning. Uh, and then there may be a lunchtime activity, and then an early afternoon activity, depending on which day of the week it is and who you are. So the idea is the schedule is routine and predictable. And when you're on campus, you're using your time wisely without a lot of dead time. Uh, and as well, those start times are mid-morning. So it gives people a chance to get their kids into daycare or to uh, do some reading and previewing on the material, whatever it might be. We had another topic, and I feel like this is a topic that also is on the minds of every medical student, which is step one and then prepping for MBMEs. And the idea that now, since exams will be all MBMEs, will there be more emphasis on third-party resources and using resources like Onking Deck as a study um, resource to cover that step material? And any advice on, on how students should incorporate third-party resources with the curriculum material? The first thing I would say is that the Scholar RX bricks are actually made by the company that writes the first aid review book. That doesn't mean that the Scholar RX bricks are a board review source. They're a primary content source, but they're put together by editors who coordinate board review products. And so I think students will find that our content, its depth, its clinical correlates, and its sequence is more in line with preparation for the board exams. Uh, but there'll still be a lot of guidance from the Office of Academic Excellence about how to correlate with certain third-party resources like Pathoma, Sketchy Farm, Sketchy Micro, Boards and Beyond, Amboss, uh, and of course, Ankydex. So I think those will still be used by students. Some will use them more, some will use them less, but I do think that our, our material will keep you busy and it will be the right material at the right time. Uh, and again, less is more a lot of times. I think sometimes in the past we've included with our passion from our specialties, lots of details and it left you guessing as to what was important and what was not. And I think that will be much more regulated and a better student experience. I think we covered a lot of stuff in this one session, so thank you both so much for being here and giving us this valuable insight behind the new curriculum. To our listeners, that was Dr. Emily Moorfield and Dr. Kurt Gilliland and a quick overview of the new tech curriculum that is being launched with the incoming class of 2027. My name is Anu. And my name is Peter. If you think someone else would benefit from listening to this episode, please share it with them. And remember to follow the Tar Heel Prescription on Instagram to keep up with our speaker highlights on upcoming episodes. Thank you for tuning in today and we will see you next time on the Tar Heel Prescription and welcome class of 2027.